Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What is the mission of the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, and its Office of Chief Financial Officer? And what are its key financial management priorities? I'll explore these questions and so much more with my very special guest, Reggie Mitchell, Chief Financial Officer at USAID. Reggie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Oh, thank you, Mike. It's good to be here. Reggie, let's start off by learning more about your organization. Would you describe the mission and continued evolution of the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, and its Office of Chief Financial Officer? Yes, Michael. You know, the agency was established in 1960 by President John Kennedy. Uh, it was established to be the federal agency, uh, or the lead federal agency for international development and humanitarian assistance globally. Uh, we work in over 100 countries around the world. Um, we we're, have actual presence in about 58 countries where we have staff there uh, performing uh, the work. As an agency, USA, you know, we advance the U.S. national security interests. We demonstrate the American generosity, as our logo clearly show uh, from the American people with our hands shaking another hand, and we promote the path of self-reliance and sustainability. As for the CFO office, uh, as you probably know, Michael, the roles of the CFO, Chief Financial Officer, was established under the 1990 Chief Financial Officer Act. That act uh, established the, the role of the CFO and the statutory uh, responsibility of oversight of financial management in the 24 largest federal agencies. That has since been expanded to just about every agency in the federal government now has a position uh, uh, that have oversight of financial management. Most of them uh, do carry the titles chief financial officer. Reggie, with such a critical mission, I'd like to understand the operational footprint of your office. Uh, how is it organized and what's the scale of operation? Sure, sure. The, um, the Office of the CFO at USAID is made up of accountants and financial professionals. It's a robust group of full-time employees and contractors. The CFO office is broken into seven divisions, uh, ranging from payroll to compliance, and we work closely with our USA missions uh, overseas, especially with the controllers within those missions. Uh, as a CFO, uh, I have fiduciary responsibility to make sure that we can account for funds being provided to us by Congress and the American taxpayer. And as such, uh, one of the responsibilities that I have is to ensure that I have controllers in place in the countries we are located to help prevent fraud, race, and abuse of taxpayer funds. Reggie, what are your specific responsibilities and duties as Chief Financial Officer at USAID? And more interestingly, how do you support the overall mission of USAID? Okay. 
Uh, great question, Michael. Uh, the day-to-day activity beyond going to meetings, right? <laughs> so, my role as chief financial officer, I, you know, I do ensure proper financial management throughout the agency of its programs and operations. That's one of my primary responsibilities. I am also I also serve as the senior financial advisor, reporting directly to the USAID administrator. My responsibility includes oversight of financial, all financial activities, reporting, and the development of USAID worldwide financial management policies, programs, and systems. Um, as the CFO, I do encourage my uh, uh, controllers to be strategic partners in the creation of development activities within the missions to ensure USG funds are accounted for and used effectively for the purpose they were intended. My function also supports the USAID overall mission of providing humanitarian and disaster assistance by ensuring funds are in place when and where needed. So again, uh, I have a cadre of professionals working for me that does the nuts and bolts of accounting and compliance, auditing, enterprise risk management, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my role as chief financial officer is to ensure that those functions are being uh, performed in an effective manner and also to advocate for the financial personnel of the agency. Regarding your responsibilities and duties, Reggie, what are the top three challenges, let's say, you have faced in your position and how have you sought to address those challenges? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I think the, a challenge that many of us have, regardless of what work you have, line of work that you're in, is managing under this COVID-19 pandemic. As you know, uh, we've been in this posture uh, for two years plus, and um, my responsibility under the pandemic is that we have funds in place to ensure we deliver the needed vaccine worldwide. You know, we work with international partners for timing of funds and we ensure proper oversight and audit of COVID-19 funds. And so that's one challenge we have. It's operating under the COVID-19 pandemic. The second uh, challenge I would say uh, is working in fragile states. And all challenges we read in the news, famine, health, hostilities, uh, we play a role in, in each of those environments. And that calls for a lot of concern when it comes to uh, fraud and anti-corruption uh, and ensuring proper financial reporting with international accounting standards and audits is a, is a big problem when you are operating some of these fraud states. And uh, that's something that uh, I have to deal with. Uh, and the third challenge, I would say, is transitioning from traditional accounting role. Uh, as we know that the role of financial management and, and chief financial officer is, is evolving. And you know, we have to get our staff uh, ready and help them transition from the traditional accounting world to more of an analytic, more strategic world where we could be agile in our information of funding throughout the agency and reporting and be more of a partner with our program managers. Interesting. So, Reggie, what has surprised you most since taking on your role at USAID? Yeah. Um, you know, I came up uh, prior to coming to USAID. I worked with the Nuclear Regulatory Council for 26 years, and it was a traditional domestic agency. 
and really uh, the CFO office in that particular agency at the time I was there was more of a back office type operation. So you didn't really get involved with the actual mission of the agency. USAID is different. Uh, coming uh, to USAID and working in the international arena and working with host countries uh, in the areas of sound financial uh, practices, for example, like the Supreme Audit Institution, host countries, uh, Ministry of Finance, uh, implementing partners overseas. These are all things that I never had to deal with uh, in my previous uh, positions at NRC. And it was all new to me. So I, I was on a steep learning curve of understanding the international arena, understanding the challenges uh, that we face and those of our uh, implementing partners and host countries and Supreme Water institutions face as well. So I would say biggest surprise I had coming to USAID and also the nicest surprise because it really did expand my horizon from your tr traditional CFO role to more of a financial management advocate when it comes to dealing with uh, entities overseas. You alluded to this earlier, kind of give us a little tip. I want to talk a little bit more about your career path. How did you get your current leadership role? And tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm a veteran. I, I spent eight years in uh, the Navy on nuclear submarines. And, um, and from there, uh, I went to work for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, where I worked in the controller office. This was prior to 1990, uh, which there wasn't any CFOs in, in the federal government at that time. Uh, the office eventually became the office of the chief financial officer. And in that office, I held a number of staff positions, um, both on the uh, budget side, reporting side uh, of uh, the office. And then uh, I became a branch chief and division director as well uh, in a number of areas. And then eventually I joined the SES ranks in 2006, uh, holding a number of executive uh, positions such as the budget director, controller, the system for operations, um, which was responsible for the agency budget and accounting activities and executive oversight of program coordination. So I've always worked in the financial side of the house and a little bit on the IT, but IT as it relates to financial systems. So Reggie, given that experience, which you just outlined, what characteristics make an effective leader? And perhaps you could share with us some of the leadership principles and insights you follow. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think of being a good listener and, and being uh understanding of the challenges faced by those who work with you on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of servant leadership, for example. And as it relates to my leadership principles, I do subscribe to principles as outlined in Stephen M. R. Covey, The Speed of Trust, and his father's book, Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits, How You Affect People. These two books uh, probably shape my leadership philosophy more than than uh, any other books that I have read uh, through my training on becoming a manager. What is USAID's financial management strategy? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour.
This is The Center This Week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness. Brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I'm Michael Keegan, Managing Editor of the Business of Government magazine. The Center This Week is our opportunity to inform and, most importantly, to invite you, our listeners, to use the IBM Center for the Business of Government as your resource, a how-to resource for improving government effectiveness at the state, local, and federal level. How is GAO innovating the way it conducts its oversight mission? And what does the future hold for the U.S. Government Accountability Office? I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Comptroller General Gene Dodaro, leader of the Government Accountability Office. So, Gene, could you elaborate on the challenges affecting the federal budget, both near and long term, and provide us with an overview of the work GAO is doing in this area and any recommendations you'd like to offer? Uh, Michael, I've long been concerned about the long-term fiscal outlook of the federal government. Now, most recently, this uh, pandemic response was something that needed to be done to deal with the public health situation and the economic repercussions of the economy. Uh, But what I've recommended to the Congress is that once we have our public health goals met, once the economy is on a stable growing path, we need to quickly pivot our attention to dealing with the long-term fiscal outlook. Now, the fiscal year 2020, you know, debt held by the public reached about 100% of gross domestic product, which is up from 79% in 2019. And absent any action, you know, our long-term simulations, debt held by the public is projected to surpass 200% of GDP by 2048. So when, you, when your debt is growing faster than your economy, that is what we call unsustainable over a long-term period of time. Now, whether it's the Treasury Department we're going to be issuing the annual financial report of the federal government, or it's a CBO, or it's GAO, uh, all th- three conclude that the government's on a long-term unsustainable fiscal path. Now, this is going to be complicated by some key decisions that are going to have to be made in a relative short order about some of the more significant trust funds that we have. Medicare, for example, hospital and insurance trust funds projected to be depleted by 2026. And so the revenues there, which are from the payroll taxes, would be sufficient to pay only 87% of scheduled benefits in 2027. The Social Security Trust Fund is expected to be depleted in the 2033-34 time frame, and they only have enough money to support about 75% of the benefits in there. So these issues are going to have to be dealt with in the context of a, of a growing federal debt. Now, what we've done to help Congress, because these are policy decisions to be made by elected officials, our job is to alert them to these potential risk, the long-term fiscal outlook, Uh, but we've developed uh, what we would recommend that would be key elements of the plan, which is to, uh, you know, have a plan that you can have a legal framework, so there'd be a legal underpinning to the plan. You want to have, you know, emergency flexibility in case something comes up. You need to integrate it into your budget process. You need to have clear roles and a way to monitor the budget. And we've, and we've also recommended that Congress set some targets, for example, on debt to GDP. How much debt 
the GDP that we want to have as a nation. The other issue here is our debt grows, our interest rate exposure grows as well. While interest rates have been low now, we've been able to borrow large amounts of money, low rates. That can change at any time, as you've seen most recently with inflation and interest rates are going to go up uh, over a period of time. So that's going to increase our debt service uh, burden. You know, we're estimating that you know, absent any major changes here, you know, net interest was $345 billion in fiscal year 2020, and it's projected to exceed a trillion dollars by 2033. So this interest rate exposure is a, a, a big issue as well. So we need a plan to make sure that we can then deal with future emergencies and have flexibility. Now, we also, lastly, recommended that Congress change the approach to the current debt ceiling. Now, the debt ceiling really hasn't done much in order to control the debt. All it does is set a limit on the money Treasury can borrow to finance the decisions that Congress has already made and the president signed into law through their appropriation process. And because there's always the potential that the debt might not be raised in time, then uh, it makes the markets nervous, thereby creating a more of a premium that they want to lend us the money going forward. So we've recommended some alternatives that Congress could use to get that under better control going forward as well. More information on this and other center resources is available at businessofgovernment.org. There you will find how the business of government is not business as usual. For the IBM Center for the Business of Government, I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been The Center This Week. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Whitner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Reggie Mitchell, Chief Financial Officer at USAID. So, Reggie, would you highlight for us your strategic vision for your office and perhaps outline some of your key priorities? Okay. Yeah. So, as we know, financial management is always evolving. Uh, is, you know, I, I consider it vital to the success of USAID mission. I'm proud that our USAID worldwide financial management operations continue to be sound. In fact, we have achieved significant improvements over the past mm, several years to include implementing a fully integrated uh, global core accounting system, uh, cleaning, uh, receiving a clean audit opinion on agency financial statements. Challenges still remains, however, you know, they include you know, operational and financial 
business challenges that we have to deal with, such as technology improvements are needed in areas to adopt new applications, uh, the course systems need further refinement, and uh, there's uh, needs to uh, improve integration of financial elements of key agency business systems as well. So uh, we have established uh, uh, strategic goals uh, as outlined in our five-year strategic plan. And, and they are establish a culture of operational excellence to become a trusted value strategic advisor, partner, and service provider. And three, enhance uh, enterprise risk management and internal control governance framework. So my hopes uh, is plan for these strategic goals are through a number of priorities, including maintaining financial integrity and accountability, improving our financial management processes, uh, enhancing the ERM governance framework, uh, prepare workforce operations for the future, for example, advanced uh, technologies, the use of, and training, and then focusing on becoming a trusted advisor and partner. Uh, as it relates to uh, my vision, it is overall to become a trusted advisor and partner in the agency. Yeah, as a follow-up, Reggie, are there any specific internal drivers and or external trends that have shaped and informed your strategy? Yeah, the, the, the role of the CFO is, is ever-changing in the agency. Um, for example, when ERM came around in 2016, when leadership at the time was trying to figure out where they was going to put that function, uh, they decided to put it in the... Uh, office of the chief financial officer, and that was a major uh, function that we inherited, and that was um, internally based. Um, some agency chose to stand up a separate office uh, to deal with the enterprise risk management, but in USAID, they decided to put it in my office. So, uh, roles now is no more of a strategic problem solver and decision uh, maker. When we're looking at CFO offices now, turning financial information into business intelligence. Uh, in the past, it was more of a traditional accounting and compliance role, but that is something that we're trying to minimize. It's always going to be a need for accounting and compliance, but that's not going to be the thrust of the function uh, expected by leadership. We have an ever-increasing need to both automate and innovate. Uh, the administrative continuing to encourage all the staff to, to innovate uh, their processes. Um, and this, you know, we will do by using technology and taking a, a fresh look at the way we do business and getting our stakeholders, customers, and partners, you know, involved. The expectation for my office is to be a trusted source of financial information for our customers, partners, and stakeholders. Oversight of our enterprise risk management governance framework as well, uh, especially given the challenges working in the international arena. As it relates to external drivers, uh, the growing sense of urgency to quickly innovate, uh, which has been reinforced by the U.S. Federal Chief Financial Officers Council, CFO Council, uh, you know, identify financial data transformation as being one of its key priority areas, and we certainly uh, support that. Um, they have stated that this modernization is one of the 
key steps in providing accountability to the taxpayer. Another driver is the Biden-Harris management agenda vision, which outlines the administrative roadmap to ensure an equitable, effective, and accountable federal government. So uh, one that delivers results. So those are the drivers that, you know, had us to look at our uh, operation worldwide and decided to uh, put together a strategy to, you know, achieve a vision after a five-year period. As we know, as you, as you pointed out earlier, Reggie, USAID strives to maximize development impacts across the globe. To do that, it needs a financial management system that is efficient for staff and both reliable and useful for management, as well as compliant with federal requirements. Uh, to that end, would you tell us more about your efforts to enhance your agency's financial management system? What is being done to automate and streamline financial management practices? Absolutely, uh, Michael. Um, you know, we just published our CFO five-year financial management strategic plan in April of this year. Uh, and, and in that plan, it outlines the vision for the agency financial management. And uh, in the plan, we cover areas of enhancing our financial management systems, uh, enhancing our financial processes. Uh, enhancing the agency financial management processes captured under the first goal in the plan, in fact, and we are currently identifying systems and processes we plan on enhancing as we develop our roadmap to get us to our strategic vision in 2027. Right now, I'll have a working group uh, established with uh, several of our overseas controllers as participants, uh, along with uh, members of my staff here in Washington, D.C., and with the goal of uh, making sure that the systems that we believe we could take on in a five-year period of time uh, are the right systems to take on based on the needs and requirements primarily in the field uh, and uh, our clients here in Washington as well. So I don't have names of specific systems at this point as they are being identified for my consideration uh, once the working group um, present me with the completed roadmap. And um, once I have that, then I will know specifically what systems we believe we can successfully, you know, modernize, update, uh, even replace if need be in order to meet the needs of our future financial management activities. So, uh, Reggie, let's talk about some successes. USAID has received a clean audit opinion for fiscal year 2021. Would you tell us more about this accomplishment? Why is it so important? And what goes into receiving a successfully clean audit? Right. Yeah. You know, it, um, a clean audit opinion is important because it represents sound financial management operations uh, that complies with applicable rules and regulations. Right. So it shows our work uh, to minimize operational risk to our financial management infrastructure. And it provides the agency an opportunity to demonstrate our commitment and ability to fully account for the funds entrusted to us by Congress and the American taxpayer, for example. Also, you know, the uh, statements are located in the agency financial report, which is the annual report which is produced for the president and the Congress 
and the American people. So that is where they will find our statements and they will be able to uh, ascertain where the fundings that we was entrusted by Congress, where did they go, what was it used for, and how are we expending those funds. As to what goes into receiving a clean audit opinion, without getting too technical, you know, every year the agency office inspector general conducts a number of audits on our financial systems, our compliance activities, internal controls, and review management actions on previous findings from past audits. That process is a six to seven month process uh, to complete. It's very intense on the staff and staff overseas as well as the uh, auditors uh, come into our operations and uh, request number of documents and uh, questions that we had to answer and provide you know um, assurances on. And once they complete their audit, it's the auditors who makes the determination uh, whether or not the uh, financial statement are you know stated fairly. And if they are, you get what they call now a unmodified opinion. It used to be called clean opinion. Now it's unmodified. And it's, uh, you know, a, is a healthy achievement uh, by all staff, not just the financial side of the house, but the program side as well. Reggie, could you elaborate for us on the development and launch of USAID's anti-fraud plan? How does it support the agency's fraud prevention detection and response activities. Right. So, you know, again, this is one of those mandates that came down, uh, you know, about 18 months ago, two years ago. Uh, and we started to, to get a group of uh, staff together, and both in the uh, financial management arena, as well as the program side of the house, to start to come together to develop this uh, anti-fraud plan. Um, you know, all this falls under the priorities of, you know, sustainability, anti-corruption, increasing the number of local implementing partners was all part of the uh, focus on de developing this plan uh, that would be used by all staff. Okay, and so this plan also, when we developed it, we went on a communication. You know, role show to uh, distribute the plan and to talk about the plan and educate staff on uh, fraud and, and corruption and the things to look for in their day to day activities, uh, regardless of what area of the agency you work in. And the corruption, we understand that makes more uh, transparent environment better financial results for our implementing partner and create an atmosphere of sustainability in country. Uh, and that's one of the things that we, we do uh, communicate with our implementing partners as well. Uh, so the plan is the overarching concept of anti-fraud, things that we're responsible for as uh, employees of the agency and things that our implementing partners uh, are responsible for as uh, our partners in implementing our programs. 
As a follow-up, Reggie, would you tell us more about your continued efforts to reduce payment errors by identifying, reporting, and recovering overpayments? Uh, this is one area that I'm very proud of my staff, and I can say that because uh, they, we have been in compliance with every area of cash management for the past several years. Uh, we have systems in place to prevent improper payments. We have one of the most uh, lowest uh, improper payment rate in the federal government. In fact, uh, it was so low uh, uh, three years ago, we was able to skip a year of getting audited because the we was below, below the threshold of uh, you know, uh, improper payments uh, being made. Uh, so uh, we also make sure that we have staff training to identify errors that may trigger improper payments, division of duties to ensure optimal processing uh, of payments uh, in, event, and in the event of an improper payment, uh, cash management payment division uh, directly contacts uh, vendors to request refunds uh, immediately and, and we'll follow through to make sure that do occur. Um, also our payment tr transaction through our accounting systems are reviewed and reconciled with treasury disbursement reports on a monthly basis. And then ultimately, procedures and safeguards are in place to minimize the risk of top payment. Uh, given the amount of money that flows through uh, our agency, and it's very important um, that we, we do have a robust uh, process uh, and place of internal controls and managerial oversight of the payment function. And so that, that is one area that I'm very pleased with that we could say that um, we have a good handle on uh, improper payments. How has USAID transformed how its Office of Chief Financial Officer operates? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Reggie Mitchell, Chief Financial Officer at USAID. Reggie, today federal agencies recognize that risk is inherent and that managing risk must be integral to how you do business as an agency. To that end, could you tell us more about how USAID is leveraging Enterprise Risk Management, ERM, to inform the agency's overall risk profile and to better anticipate, respond, and mitigate risks? Yeah, so uh, good question, Michael. Um, 
you know, obviously due to the nature of our work, uh, you know, we, we always had a strong risk management culture and effective risk management processes in place. But it wasn't, it was siloed and it wasn't uh, uh, consolidated into one um, process, for example. And so as AEC, we also consider risk when planning uh, a strategy uh, and designing a project or implementing an activity. There is always the need to continuously reevaluate and adjust when circumstances and field conditions change. So when the enterprise risk management function was introduced in the agency, uh, it's provided a new way of looking at how the agency considers risk. Because uh, now, instead of risk being handled in silos, uh, risk down was being reported up through a government structure to the leadership for awareness. So now we do have two EIM council. One is the Risk Management Council, which consists of career SES and senior foreign service officers. Uh, that council is considered the continuity, given that these are career SES and senior foreign service officer. And so therefore, uh, leadership does not change often. The second council is the Executive Management Council for Risk and Internal Control. And that council is made up of all the political appointees, and we collectively refer to them as the leadership. And that council takes recommendations from the RMC, and then they deliberate over those recommendations and then report up to the uh, administrator. The MCRIC, or the Executive Management Council for Risk and Internal Control, is headed by our Deputy Administrator, Paloma Adams-Allen. And that is uh, where most of our risks are either addressed or sent back down to RMC for additional evaluation. The type of risk that goes up, it comes through a process we call the you know, FMFIA, and uh, it's assurances that all operating units have to make on the operation of, of their uh, programs and, and organization and gives them the opportunity to elevate risk to the next level of leadership. Once that's elevated, um, those risks come to my office where they are evaluated and, and the analysis are performed and then presented to the Risk Management Council for deliberations and consideration. Is that that council where they review and they provide an oversight function on the agency risk profile, which is the document that captures all of our major risks uh, in the agency and who makes recommendations to the next level of the council. So at USAID, our EIM process is totally integrated to our operations of the agency and it provides all of leadership an uh, opportunity to opine on the risks as they're being reported up and made aware of what risks exist. And therefore, it becomes uh, a very valuable asset to the agency in ensuring that leadership are aware of its uh, major risks. Reggie, what's the role of your office in revising USAID's policy document that guides the planning, designing, implementing, and closing 
of government to government, G2G activities implemented through the partner government systems. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you, our GDG policy document was revised early last year, uh, specifically serves as a guide um, for our OC staff. It, it provides them with uh, a seven-step risk management process for planning, assessing, and implementing and monitoring the, the government-to-government activities. It also allows our overseas staff more flexibility to advance the GTG programming, but doing so through a prudent, you know, risk-aware you know, posture. The policy ultimately helps USAID achieve its goals of strategic decision-making and elevating threats, as well as identifying opportunities. The GTG activities is one, uh, of our more successful program and getting sustainability as a race to uh, government systems, uh, host government systems, I should say. And so we are continuing to evaluate our policy when it comes to GDG programming as we learn through trial and error uh, and to capture those learnings uh, in our policy document. Reggie, how have you sought to enhance the management of agencies' cash reconciliation, collection, and reporting operations, ensuring that USAID maintains compliance with Treasury's reporting requirements? Right. Um, we utilize an um, a, a, uh, automated system. Uh, we call it the Electronic Cash Reconciliation Tool, or short e-cart. And that system helps us reconcile USAID accounting system transactions to the fund balance with Treasury government-wide accounting system. This system is used by every operating unit in the agency, and they are responsible for reconciling their operating unit uh, transactions on a monthly basis. You know, we provide annual e-card training uh, to all overseas mission staff, as well as Washington as well. And we provide quarterly scorecards to all missions, letting them know how well they're doing with the reconciliation as it relates to timing of reconciliation being conducted. And so it's one of those reports that uh, no one wants to be at the bottom of the report. Okay. So uh, it's, it's self-governing and it's uh, self-promoting as far as not having to play the devil advocate by coming in as the CFO and giving bad news to uh, managers in the different operating units uh, as opposed to giving them a report and let themselves manage where they want to be in, in that reporting. And we find that to be very, um, very useful and very effective in getting offices to make sure that uh, they are in place that they want to be as, as relates to timeliness of getting their reconciliations done. Reggie, are you exploring the use and application of emerging technologies such as robotic process automation, intelligent automation, or machine learning AI to transform how your office and the agency does business and meets its missions? Yes, yes. We, we are definitely looking into uh, the proof to improve our efficiency and stay current with the you know what may be available to us in the marketplace. Um, you know, we're working with other agencies as well to leverage their experience and, and those technologies they're using and what functions, uh, activities they're using, technologies such as the robotic uh, process um, improvement tools. So uh, it's, it's something that we have not uh, employed yet, 
but it's something that we are definitely looking into uh, consistent with what we have already advocated in our uh, five-year strategic plan. Reggie, congratulations is in order again for the seventh year USAID is the recipient of the prestigious Certificate of Excellence in Accountability Reporting, CR Award, uh, put out by the uh, Association of Government Accountants, AGA. So would you tell us more about this award? What goes into receiving it and how important is it for you, your team, and the agency as a whole to gain this recognition? It is definitely a very important report because what this does is the Association of Government Accountants, AGA. This is the premier association uh, for federal accountants and financial professionals. Yeah, they have a robust review uh, process they conduct on a yearly basis to look at all of the agencies that produces a ACC financial report. And they review the, those reports and make certain recommendations and evaluate the effectiveness of the message uh, how well it defines the individual agency's mission okay, uh, and things of that sort. So it's the highest form of recognition that a federal government uh, financial management organization can re- achieve. It's recognized by Congress and OMB as well. Uh, and the, the award shows the agency commitment to excellence and stewardship and helps Congress and OMB understand you know, why USAID matters to win this award, the agency must you know, submit the report to the Association of Government Accountants Program for evaluation to be eligible for two criteria to be met. So the agency uh, financial report uh, must be issued by the date given by OMB every year. And then the auditor's opinions on the financial state, uh, statements must be unmodified or what we used to call clean. So purposes behind just being compliant, it provides transparency to the taxpayers as well. And details in, into how each agency with the federal government and assures the taxpayer where and how the taxpayer dollars are being spent. The audience for this report, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is the president well, through OMB and Congress and the taxpayer. So, Reggie, what are you doing to empower your employees to drive innovation and become champions of change and really positioning them to move beyond finance as usual? and realize a faster pace, more agile, analytics-focused enterprise? Right. I am personally uh, I'm providing training uh, to my staff. Uh, I'm encouraging through my newsletters uh, to the field uh, and to my staff here in Washington and other bureaus here in Washington for financial folks that works in those bureaus uh, about the direction that uh, financial management is going government-wide. And as the CFO, uh, my communication with the the Washington and and the mission, you know, goes a long way of them understanding from my perspective as, you know, the chief uh, official when it comes to financial management agency, that this is the direction that we are heading in. I also employ this philosophy when we are hiring new staff as well. When we have folks coming in, one of the requirements, uh, even on our vacancy announcement, is you know, putting these, these new requirements you know, into the vacancy announcements as well. The other thing that uh, we're doing is going out with training or workshops as well. Uh, again, with the goal of, of training uh, our patrollers 
on what is expected of them. And then also I do uh, make sure that it's part of my talking points anytime I visit the missions, what I do typically prior to COVID, about twice to three times a year, I would visit a, a mission and uh, with my message on their specific mission and how well they're doing in the financial management arena from my perspective as CFO and, uh, and make sure that the talking points include the vision uh, going forward for the work that we're doing and how that work will be performed. What are the characteristics of an effective CFO? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan-Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Reggie Mitchell, Chief Financial Officer at USAID. Reggie, USAID's focus is international. I want to talk about your role, the role of your office, uh, in strengthening accountability, transparency, and integrity amongst government institutions in partner countries. Uh, So to that end, does your office provide technical assistance in auditing and financial transparency to these institutions, and perhaps you can tell us more about your relationship and collaboration with the Government Accountability Office, GAO, in fostering international collaboration and partnership in the area of financial integrity and transparency. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, the short answer is yes, as uh, needed, and as our ability to meet those needs. Uh, Every mission is staffed at different numbers, uh, with different uh, similar skill set, obviously, the accountancy financial skill sets. However, some of our host countries are not as far along as a developed country, countries per se when it comes to accountancy and, and that skill set. So our controls uh, typically take on that burden of providing the technical expertise to a implementing partner or a, a host country. Uh, ministry, for example, like the Minister uh, Ministry of Finance, for example. So, as it relates to the GAO Center for Audit Excellence, uh, yes, we are in partnership with them to be a conduit to uh, promote them with our missions that those who have a need um, uh, in country to provide technical support to our implementing partners or host countries that they could take advantage uh, and use uh, and leverage the GAO Center for Audit Excellent. In fact, uh, we signed a MOU and an interagency agreement with the GAO Center for Audit Excellence last year. And as a result, all we see controls have begun working uh, within countries, uh, Supreme Audit Institution, for example. I just visited two this year. Uh, Madagascar and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, where uh, I witnessed the signing of these MOUs 
uh, with the Supreme Audit Institution in these two individual countries. Uh, also, our control uh, work directly with uh, international partners who train financial managers on auditing standards, including internal control for USA G funds during workshops as well. And that was another activity I was able to participate in uh, at the Democratic Republic of the Congo, who had 50 implementing partners attend uh, their latest uh, workshop back in June. Reggie, transitioning to the future, what are some of the key issues you think you'll be facing over the next couple of years? Yeah, for me, I'll start with anti-corruption, because that's a, that's, that's a really big deal right now with the administration. Overseas is, is a, you know, it's a challenge. I also will say uh, innovation, and innovation meaning the, you know, introducing, you know, technology into uh, business processes, um, making sure that we stay current with the latest uh, technology that's out there. Uh, and then the third is, you know, government-wise, COVID-19 and, and global health issues uh, that we have to grapple with over the next couple of years. Uh, it, it continues to evolve where we are in this hybrid work environment, um, you know, set, setting new norms, new standards as it relates uh, to working remotely. Um, those I, I see as you know, key issues that will you know, impact our operations for years to come. So, Reggie, how has the role of the CFO evolved in the federal government? And more importantly, what are some of the characteristics in your mind of a successful CFO? Yeah, I think the role is uh, transitioning from, you know, again, your typical trans transactional reporting to, to more of an analytic and coming a strategic partner decision maker, okay? Which means that the CFO really has to be cognizant and aware of the programs what's going on in the individual programs and not uh, have blinders on just looking at the financial management aspect of the program. I think uh, we do play an important vital role more than ever in terms of risk across the programs. Talk a little bit about, you know, how the programs are running, looking at data, you know, understanding the risks associated with the program because we are members of the EOM governance framework at all levels. And um, I think uh, CFO has to provide that, not just information, but meaningful information for decision makers across the agency. And the only way that's going to occur if they have confidence in the information being provided to them uh, by the financial management um, professionals of the agency. As far as the characteristics of a successful CFO, I think it requires strong leadership skills, meaning um, the ability to motivate a staff to be a good advocate for the staff and to be able to clearly articulate why financial management is so important, not only to the health of, of agency you know, financial operations, but also as it relates to democracy in the case of USAID when a lot of times people don't think of financial management is, you know, akin to, you know, good democratic principles. And the reason it is because uh, I think a lot of us take for granted in this country that we are transparent when it comes to data, uh, where money coming in, where money going out, what it's being spent for, et cetera, et cetera. That's not true for a vast number of countries we operate within. 
where they lack the transparency, where they lack uh, strong accountancy skills. So I think that uh, having transparency and having a CFO who understands that and makes data available and not wait to be asked for certain data, but be able to foresee what's coming down the pike and what would be needed. I also think, you know, to be the character is to be truly a good listener and then adapt to the needs of the agency. You have to be flexible. This goes to the win-win concept of, you know, have it for Stephen Covey. And then learning to to balance innovation with operations. As always, uh, when new uh, technologies come out, you, you do have a segment that wants to jump right on it. And then, of course, you have a segment of your staff that, you know, want to hunker down and, and continue to do uh, business as usual. And that becomes a area where uh, it takes a, you know, uh, someone with good skills to be able to negotiate and motivate and uh, get people to understand why it's important to move forward as opposed to doing what you have always done. Uh, Reggie, what advice would you give someone who's considering a career in public service? Um, the advice I would give is it's a wonderful career to have um, because you are a public servant. You are here to whatever agency you work for has a mission. And though that mission is to help others, regardless of what agency you're working for. And if you come into federal government to get rich, this, this is not the place for you. You might want to look at Wall Street or something like that. Uh, certainly, we are paid well, but that's not, uh, in my uh, experience, that's not the number one factor why people come into the federal government. They came into the federal government because they either have a strong sense of community, a, a strong sense of wanting to, to work and produce something that is meaningful or support something that is meaningful as opposed to a job. At the end of the day, uh, I think you can sit back when you know your agency is doing good work. In this case, I am extremely proud of both agencies that I've been associated with, uh, and that's uh, you know, USAID and NRC, uh, that um, I was part of something that was meaningful and that gave me great pleasure uh, knowing that I was a part of these great agencies and the work that they do for the, the public. So, Reggie, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. But more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you, Michael. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Reggie Mitchell, Chief Financial Officer at USAID. Be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. WFED Washington, WTOP-FM HD2 Washington, W283DG Sterling, WTLP-FM HD2 Braddock Heights Frederick. Federal News Network is the news organization of record for the federal community. We are nonpartisan, nonpolitical, and our job is to help federal government and contracting executives make informed decisions. 
We inform federal managers, contractors, and policymakers on issues related to the federal workforce, management, and acquisition. Pay benefits in retirement, the Defense Department, and federal IT. Portions pre-recorded. Nights and weekends, we air Washington Nationals, Capitals, and Wizards, and the Navy Midshipmen. We are the Washington, D.C. home of Navy Athletics. Download the Federal News Network app on the App Store or Google Play Store. Play Federal News Network on Alexa. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Federal News Network. Our mission is helping you meet your mission.